Look around. Everywhere these days, people are crying out for effective leadership. There's no mistaking it any longer. Men, especially leaders, are struggling, emasculated by imposed rules, stereotyping, and leadership models that are no longer working. There are many women who are doing a much better job at leadership than the men, and we need to recognize them. We need their help, too. Welcome to Well, the Women's Expressions on Leadership, Learning, and Liberty podcast show, and I'm its host, John Krotek. This is the show where women can help us men to be better men, more effective leaders. I am super excited for this episode of Well, the Well podcast. Um, The guest that I have today has been a friend for a couple of years. She actually helped me to publish my second book, and we're working on others. She is ghostwriter and the founder of of Hava Publishing, president, visionary, conversationalist, leader, Amy Sheesh, who has created her own path, and I love this about her, as a lifelong rebel, supporting many causes, not just one. She's got a bunch of them. As a domestic violence survivor, Amy forged a path to provide for her children as she faced divorce. She learned how to advocate for others like she does, advocate for herself like she does for others. She's a born leader. And as we get into this conversation, you'll quickly find that out. She stands tall for her beliefs. She's not afraid to forge paths as she finds the road not traveled. And shows others the way to find personal freedom and their own success. Humbled and honored to have Amy here today on this episode. I hope to learn a lot, and I hope that those of you who are listening can learn as well. But welcome to the show, Amy. Finally glad to get you here. How you doing? Yeah, it's good to see you, John. Yeah, I feel like, you know, we've talked so many times, but we've never really had (laughs) any kind of an interview. We're always just, you know, uh, you're helping me out with things and strategies, and we always trade ideas, and now we're finally doing something more formal, so. Yeah, we've had some deep conversations, not not that surface stuff. We've had some really deep um, philosophical conversations, so I appreciate what you're doing, and I'm excited. Well, let's get started, I, and I know, and, I, and when I say some of these things about you and your short bio, you know, they're all real. You, you This recurring theme of forging paths and you know, the road less traveled. We've heard a little bit about that, but let's back up to you and and Amy. Tell us about your your childhood, your your, your coming of age years. You know, what was it like in your household growing up? And then we'll get into some of the leadership stuff, but tell us about how you became this, this visionary. So I was always the black sheep of my cousins and I, I always had to question things and my dad was a preacher. So growing up, we were expected to not speak, just kind of sit there. I couldn't help myself. I'd get little pinches under the table, you know, cause I'd want to ask questions and challenge the adults at the table intellectually, not like, not in a rude way or a know-it-all way, but I wanted to ask questions cause I didn't ever just take what people said to me at face value. I wanted to know more. Um, So, you know, 
my dad and mom, they're still married. We've gone through cancer with both of my parents. My dad has two stage four cancers right now, and he's a trooper, you know? Um, but I had kind of an insignificant childhood. I won a lot of awards, anything I touched, you know, I had to win. I was very competitive. Um, but there's nothing that stands out as that like aha moment. It was just more, they would try to get me in line at school. Amy's not the teacher. Remind her she is not the teacher. I just laugh. My mom would be like, your teacher sent a note again. And I, okay, I, that's kindergarten, you know, starting in kindergarten we have these notes and, you know, through high school, we just, I never did what was expected. I would exceed expectations though. There's a difference between, you know, just rebelling to do wrong or exceeding expectations and then saying, okay, now I have questions. I've done what you've asked of me. And now I want something done my way. So I was class clown and teacher's pet. Oh, uh, that's, that's good. an interesting combination, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm getting this, I'm getting this image a very inquisitive rebel rousing trendsetter who is pushing the envelope, but doesn't push the envelope to the extreme. Or maybe you do. It depends. I mean, there's, there's definitely places. So for instance, um, I think there's places where you stand your ground and you say, this is a hill I'm going to die on. I'm not going to comply or consent no matter what. And when you stand like that in certain situations, and I won't, you know, I don't want to alienate anybody, so we don't have to go into the specifics of what I'm talking about. But when you stand up for what you believe and you don't waver, you can get to the end of a situation, whether it be a year, two years, five years, 10 years, a lifetime and go, you know, yes, I took a lot of heat and a lot of people came against me, but I stood for what I believed in and I never wavered. I can be proud of myself for that. And yeah, the, so solid core values, you know, you had the courage that takes courage not to fold when, when there's adversity. And so, right. you know, you, you had that steadfastness at an early age and, and it's helped you. Maybe it's hindered you at times, but it's helped you quite a bit. You know, well, and I've always, well, and I've always said I was proudly the bully's bully because I was bullied horrifically through sixth or seventh grade. Um, I mean, they threw a yard dart through my leg. They were aiming at my chest. There was blood spurting everywhere, you know, ripping open my knees in fourth grade at the merry-go-round. But a lot of people deal with bullying, right? What I didn't do... It's so sad. And what I didn't do was cry or go tattle. I kind of stood up against the bullies and was like, okay, I'm bleeding, but I'm not scared of you. I'm not angry. I'm not crying. I never gave them anything to work with. You know, I didn't, I made myself less of a target, but then they wanted to crack me, which it never happened. I won there. Never one time did I cry in front of these people, you know? And, um, even as an adult, I look at situations and go, you step in to protect the weaker people. So I was called the Jolly Green Giant. I've always been much taller than my peers. I'm, you know, 5'10 now, which is normal size, I guess. But um, <laughs> it's a little tall. 
but um what's interesting is it doesn't matter even if it's strangers you can calmly tell people like hey that's not how you treat somebody come on we're adults here you know or stepping in when you see an issue instead of turning the other you know turning away a lot of people want to oh I didn't see anything well that's okay in some situations but if it's someone else's safety and security they need to know that there are still good humans that will stand up for them and I think you know when you live a life where you're looking to help people and you know there's a lot of stuff I can't talk about John about you know random acts of kindness or giving in a way that almost hurts sometimes you know you see a need and you have it you meet the need you this thoughts and prayers culture it's great, you know, thoughts and prayers too. But if you know somebody's hungry, give them food. If you have it within your means, if you see that somebody needs a jacket in the middle of winter, it doesn't hurt you to go buy them a $30 jacket. Oh, well, but I had that $30 planned for, you know, my coffees. Well, that's fantastic, but this person's freezing. So I kind of try to lead by example in life, I'm not going to tell people what to do. I try to lead like that's, that's awesome because we know what I start to, you know, the stories that I've heard and the conversations I've had in the, in the short time we've had this program, I'm amazed at how the leadership qualities come about, you know, like born out of being bullied, you know, being steadfast, always an advocate for the underdog, moral courage, uh, having firm core values, uh, trendsetter, you know, all these leadership traits are formed in that fire and in the fire of our childhoods. You know, I'm starting to see that more and more. And it's important for us to, as leaders, you just said, you know, that you stand up. It's important for us to, to do that because if we didn't, we wouldn't be who we say we are. Right. And so that comes from someplace deep inside. and and it's pretty fascinating to hear your story because it's not easy to know who you are at such an early age. Well, and John, what's interesting about something you just said, I would like to add something to it. I live so, you know, a lot of people try to put a better face forward, right? They, they like their highlight reel. Oh, let me show you everything that's great about me. I'm that person that's like, let me just show you everything bad. And if you stick around, you'll get all the good because the good is better than the bad. But I don't want posers and haters and, you know, jealous people in my circle. I want them to be like, this girl's way too much. I just want out. And then the people that are, that are left, they can see your true essence. They see who you really are. I'm not out here trying to be popular. I... Here's another interesting thing that I think leaders would admit to if they weren't afraid to admit certain things. We love people, but we don't like people. Yeah, that, 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 that rings true. <laughs> it's, not, it's not to be rude. I love human beings, but when I'm by myself, I like my solitude. I'm like, okay, I like this more. But then you put me in the midst of people and I'm like, how can I help? And I always tell people the servant heart leads, right? If you're out there saying, this is what you need to do for me, you're not a leader, period. You're a leader when you go out and say, how can I help you? 
what can I do for you? What is your path? And let me see it clearly because it matters to me. And John, you've come so far in two years. I, I don't know. I know you don't toot your own horn. So I'm going to toot John's horn for him, everybody. You had this vision two years ago and you have planned for it and you have been diligent and steadfast in it. And, you know, there's things that come up, you know, nobody asked for this global pandemic. We were talking before this thing, you know, nobody asked for inflation or soaring gas price. Like nobody asked for this life that we've been handed. But what makes the resilient ones that say, even though it looks like the sky is falling, chicken little's running around with his head cut off, you know, people still forge forward and say, how do we build a better place for the people that come after us? And I'm watching business people shut, shut up and be like, I don't want to help anybody anymore because what happens if, what happens if? You know what? Well, thank you for that. You know, this, this is your interview though. And, and I appreciate <laughs> that, but you know, but, th but, but it, it's so true. You said something about servant leadership and even when times are bad, the servant leaders still pick up the, you know, they still get up off the canvas. They pick themselves up, they dust themselves off. And, and you're right, Amy, we have had lots of conversations about the state of affairs, things that are going on, how people are reacting. And with the male female thing, what I'm, when I, I believe in chivalry, I believe in etiquette, I believe in dignity, and I believe in respect. And when you talked about resiliency, I think those all kind of go in there, but, mm -hmm. but, but, but why not? I say, why not? Why do we have to be trolls? Why do we have to bully? Why do we have to be narcissistic? Why do we have to do all these negative things when the choices for something better are always there. And that's the difference between servant leaders and people that are authentic and maybe the people without passing judgment, but the people that are trying to fill a role because that's where they think society wants them. So when I think of your publishing company and I think of your uh, personality, it wouldn't be about publishing without Amy Sheesh. It just wouldn't be. And if we don't have companies like yours and, 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 and women like you on the face of the planet, then we don't have a great place to live, do we? So it's important for us to recognize our skill sets, our strengths, the things that we totally believe in with all of our heart and souls and live them every day. Well, that's, John, that's an example right there you are. And I want to say something about the people filling roles real quick. I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says, how do I just complete this task of life, right? I think we are fed a value structure from a young age. And see, my family, I'll just be honest, this is why I was the black sheep. They're very proper, and I can be, almost to the extreme, and then I'll catch myself and you know, etiquette, manners, those things are important, okay? No matter what, even if you think you're a rebel. And I say rebel just because there's a lot of times I end up very against the, the grain, but it's because of how I believe. So it naturally is that way. It's not like I wake up and go, how do I go against what everyone else is doing? That's not right. 
but the people that fill a role, it's part of self-discovery, right? And we all go through different phases of self-discovery. It's something that should be ongoing throughout life. It's part of the growth process, but somewhere they've gotten stunted where, you know, this marriage, I have to stay in it because my faith says so my church said, so my pastor said, so my parents would be upset. And I went through that. I took back my husband after he received a felony domestic violence for strangling me pregnant. Right. Mm. Because in my heart, it was, have I done everything that I could do to fix this? No. The answer was no, John. So I took him back and said, we have a year. Can we figure this out? Yes, I'm going to go get the help I need, you know, anger management classes, whatever. We went to marriage counseling for a year and it didn't work. But I had to put my foot down and just go, who cares what anybody has to say? They're not living this life. And for the people that are filling a role, if they're happy, fine. That's, that's our wish for you is that you live a fulfilling and happy life, right? But if you're not happy, and I don't care if you, you're a trailblazer, if you're not happy and all you really want to do is slow down, kick your feet up and have some bonbons, do it. Because I'm not a YOLO person. You only live once, so do whatever you want. But I am a person that believes in the ebb and flow of life and that we have to rediscover ourselves so we can be the best person that we can out in the world, right? That's a great point. Absolutely. You know, you're reminding me of the song, although a little bit different, hit me with your best shot. You know, you're you're giving it your best shot. And that's all that anybody the universe, whoever, whatever can ask of ourselves, are we giving it our best shot? And that's where self-improvement, like you said, these roles and, and we get stunted. I, I believe that if we're constantly looking for improving things, like you were just talking about during COVID and all the things that are happening, if we're constantly moving forward in the self-improvement modus operandi, then we are giving it our best shot. And then, you know, kudos to you. You know, that's what a leadership style woman does when her marriage is in trouble she pulls out all the stops she does all the things that she needs to do and if it doesn't work she can look at herself in the mirror and she can say hey i did give it my best shot i've got no regrets time to move on at this point i don't but the first separation i did kind of feel like i could have been less mouthy now that's never an excuse for abuse so anybody listening or watching you know if you're being abused please get help because you, the, the statistics for, you know, um, loss of life are very staggering. Um, but the other thing you, you keep making my mind go, because the other thing is sometimes it's okay to say, am I doing my best? No, not at the moment, but that's okay. What do I need to recharge? So it's not, you know, self-improvement also has to have a pause button and, I take one full from sundown to sundown off a week. I won't do any work on that. And sometimes I choose to do housework because I just can't stand it. And then other times I'm like, the dishes are going to be there, whether I do them right now or wait until the next sundown, you know, and I cuddle the littles and I, I don't make anything a priority, but rest. And it's the weirdest thing. It should not be that hard, John. We're in a culture that's like run, run, go, go, go. And on the rest day, here's my brain. 
your to-do list. No, no, I don't want to, I don't want to think about it, but the brain keeps propelling it forward. Right. I have to actively work to stop. And that's not a good thing. People well, need to schedule downtime. No, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think they call it the art of nothingness, you know, <laughs> and, and, and you know what, I'm and it not is, good at it. <laughs> but it is hard though, because you know, it is, it is a, a go, 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 you know, uh, gratification with, with the flip of a button, you know, instant gratification, you know, and, and, and we do, it takes real energy, but, but we need that human beings need that. You know, I, I read the other day somewhere that technology is advancing nine times or 10 times or something quicker than the human brain can catch up. Wow. And, 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 you know, and we talk about self-improvement, but I, I want to shift gears here to, to boys in a second, but oh. we talk, but we talk about, you know, self-improvement and you're so right. You know, you can walk into any bookstore, go online and there's thousands of self-help books. Literally thousands. we could self-help ourselves into oblivion if we <laughs> allow ourselves to. And, 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 and you need to take a deep breath and you need to focus and we do need to recharge our batteries. So I'm not saying if, you know, I guess if you're going to be an addict, be an addict on self-improvement, but, but make sure you give yourself time to rest because it will just burn you out. If all I, we're trying to do is improve everything. Right. I might send you a picture of my bookshelf later, but we're not, we're not going to show the audience. Sorry. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll be waiting for that. So okay. let's shift gears here. Let's, you know, so you're coming along here. You are the rebel rouser, right? Quote, unquote, the inquisitive, uh, uh, the champion of all, you know, those who are underdogs, the trendsetter, somebody who stands their ground with moral courage, you know, so here you are you're coming along and obviously there's boys in class. What did you learn early on about boys and guys? And what were you told about them? What did you learn? Wow. Tell us a little bit about that. You don't have to go too crazy, but you know. No, I'm, I'm like trying to make sure I don't cry here. So, you know, I've had, I ended up in an abusive marriage. I've had a string of bad relationships. So let's just put it out there. But what I learned young and you just like open this floodgate, right? Because I learned that boys are mean and they're cruel and it was always the boys hurting me. It wasn't really the girls. The girls left me alone. There was no reason for them to bother me. I think the boys were intimidated that I was taller than them, you know, and uh, stronger than them. And I could kick the kickball further than them. <laughs> oh, man. Guys, you know, the guys with the egos, right? So, yeah. Guess, yeah. So I, you know, I think something inside of me, like my dad, oh, my gosh, he's so good. I, I wish he wasn't so good because he's the reason I have to be so good, you know, and my parents are the reason I never drank or did drugs because I mean, a couple drinks here and there, but nothing crazy, but I didn't want to disappoint them because they were good. And I thought, how do you disappoint people that they don't do that? I didn't grow up seeing that, you know, but I remember the one time my dad was so embarrassed, daddy, I'm sorry if you see this, forgive me. I, I caught him. He kind of smacked my mom's bum in the kitchen walking by her and then saw that I had come around the corner and he, he just kind of shook his head and walked off. Like he didn't make a big deal out of it, but that was a defining moment for me because they were never inappropriate, but you'd catch them just being charming together. You know, I knew my parents loved each other. We, there wasn't a lot of fighting in our home. Um, 
if they were disagreeing about something, and I'm going to call it that because I don't remember them fighting, they would go in their room, shut the door, and here's me and my brother. What are they, what are they talking about in there? And it wasn't like, it wasn't loud enough. We had to put our ears right against the door. It wasn't. So going from seeing my father be this awesome dad, great, just great man all around. You know, he ran out to help people in the middle of the night, we'd get phone calls. My dad put on a suit and go to the hospital and sit with people we'd never met just because they wanted a pastor there, you know, at their passing or whatever. So there's my amazing father. And then I get to school and the boys are all mean. And that's, that's the heck of a paradox and probably pretty darn confusing. It is so confusing. And, you know, my uncles are great men and my grandfather, great man. I mean, he's been gone a long time and we still miss him. That says something. That's a legacy, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's about. So why do you, so, well, no, no, that's a great story. And it would be confusing. You know, you've got great father figures and uncle figures and great older guys in your life. And then you get to school and you have these guys that are really kind of very insecure because you're outperforming them in a physical way. And, you know, guys come on later in life, I guess, with the growth spurts and all this. But, you know, wow, that would be confusing, you know. And, and then you get into the, the adult world where you're trying to still navigate. You know, you attracted the situation you were in, had something to do with it, wasn't necessarily all your fault, but takes two to tango, right? Absolutely. And, and, and you gave it your best shot, which is something I know you always do, which, which is really good. Kudos to you because that takes bravery and courage. You don't just settle. It's either going to go amazing or it's going to end horribly. It's kind of, no, but it's kind of funny to hear that. I mean, it's not, it's not funny when you're in it, but no. in, in retrospect, but so, that, you know, so that vision or that belief about men, boys coming into the world that they're men or that they're mean, it would kind of tank, you know, and then you get out there and it's quote unquote, a man's world. And, and I've always said that women, it's never been a question of whether or not women can perform and do things that, that, well, that John but you know what I'm saying? But, but, but why do we think about this? And then I, I don't lose your train of thought. Okay. So it's never been, I, I get a sense and this is, Sorry, guys, but this is what I get a sense that a lot of women out there these days are pissed. Now, think about this. Let me finish this. And I want to hear what you have to say. They're, and, they're, and they're pissed not because they're not capable of filling male roles. But should they have to? And, and why are the men not stepping up? You know, that's part of this conversation, too. And, and you know, we talked about emasculation, but, but why aren't men stepping up? What, what, do, what do you think about that? And, and, and I know you're probably pissed because guys don't stand up at times. So I'm I want to address a couple things here. So in the workforce, so, you know, childhood aside, I enter the workforce at, you know, 15, almost 16. And um, one of my much older bosses, makes a pass at me when I'm just going into the freezer. Cause I worked at a fast food joint. It was the closest thing mm. to home. You know, I was furious. He followed me home from work one night. So you start to learn even in the work world that men are dangerous. 
And I had another boss. It was an amazing job. I made amazing money. He goes, you want to um, wrap presents for Christmas for me? I'll pay you your full amount per hour. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, I will make what I make an hour to wrap presents. And I'm going to make this take all day. Like this is <laughs> all day. He comes in and smacks my butt and I quit on the spot. I was like, even if you use the, the role, it's not appropriate. And it just would happen. There's a cycle, right? And I, I do not give off the vibe that that is ever okay. So it's not like, oh, she was flirting with them and they did it. Like usually it came out of left field and I'm confused because I'm just like, what in the world triggered that? So in the work world, you're t- like, you start to see that. And then, you know, relationships aside, women are pissed because men are out here saying things like, I want a woman that supports herself. She has to do all the cleaning. She shouldn't want kids, but she should raise mine. What are you offering? What are you offering? And you know, one of my favorite books, there's two, but I'm going to reference the garden of peace, which is two men. Um, I think if every man read this book, his marriage would be flawless. Now I'm going to tell you the fair part in a minute. So here's what this, the, the author says, he says, nothing's her responsibility. Nothing. It's all yours. Um, if there's dishes in the sink, when you get home, you don't go ask your wife why there's dishes in the sink. You don't even address your wife until you've done them, do the dishes, then go check on her, kiss her on her forehead and ask her about her day. Well, most men nowadays, you tell them something like that. They're going to roar. Well, if she's been home all day, she should have done those dishes. He even puts in his book, even if she's sitting on the couch on her phone and the kids are running amok in the house, you still ask her how her day was, give her a kiss, sit down and give her a moment. That's your wife. Now, mind you, I'm a woman reading this going, that seems a little, little much, but it talks about not making her provide for herself and all these kind of what we would call archaic things, right? But I started thinking about it. Here's the thing, John, I provide for myself. I don't need a man to do that. Do I have rough times? Sure. But we make it through, haven't faltered yet. Um... So I don't need a man for my finances. I own my home. I don't need a man's home. I own my vehicle outright. I don't need a man for that. Do I have a Mercedes sitting out there? No, but that thing gets me from point A to point B. It's halfway decent looking. I mean, it's a pretty car, but um, the point is I don't actually have a need for a man to fill in a role in my life. So what is he going to add to me? That's and, a great and this question. is what men have caused. They have caused women to become so independent. Oh, she's an independent woman. We didn't wake up wanting to do this. We woke up believing that there would be a man because, you know, we're sold this baloney lie of like the, the knight riding on a horse, right? He's going to come save you. We don't want that either. Okay. And if you're, if your armor's not beat up, I'm not even interested because you haven't fought any battles and therefore you're not going to be a good partner for me. Um, But I think women are hurt and angry because men have been told to stand down and they did. That's a great point. You know, a couple of things here. Uh, You know, it's a great conversation, by the way. 
And thank you for opening up and being honest about these things because it, sometimes they're not easy to talk about. So thank you for that. But, you know, a couple of things. I haven't met a woman yet anywhere when I've got that, that, that doesn't like having their door open for them by a guy. Not that they can't do it, but I haven't had, I haven't met a woman yet who disliked that. I just haven't, you know, we no, talk a man about opens your car door and like, you don't need him to open your car door. You're perfect. But something just like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's not, thank you. And, and it, 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 it's just respect. You know, I was talking to a Vietnam veteran last week about the same subject. Grizzled old guy has his hair in a ponytail. You know, he's, he's, he's fought the Viet Cong. Here's a guy that he doesn't take crap from anybody. And he tells me it's an obligation for a man and not a weakness to treat women with respect. He goes, it's an obligation. He said, you wouldn't believe the people that I saw in this war-torn country, a country going through war, how the men were treating the women in certain in the culture over there with respect. The women were basically running the whole show in Vietnam from what he was saying, but the men were showing them dignity. And he said, it's not a weakness for a man to show a lady dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. And, and anybody can open a car door. Anybody can, can do those things, but, it, but, but, but why not be respectful? Why not? She's well, not weak. It's, it's, it's a matter of dignity. Just saying. It is. And here's the beauty of it. I'm that person that if you catch the first door for me, I'm going to grab the second door for you. Not because you're incapable, but it's a, it's a dual respect. You know, you give me respect. I'm giving it back to you. Um, so this book, I want to get back to this for just a second. Because no, no, I go ahead. Go ahead. The most absurd thing in the world. I'm reading this book and it's like the woman should never provide for anything. If she wants to work, you allow her to work. And then don't argue with her, let her keep her money and you're still paying all the bills. Well, now these men are like, it's 50, 50, honey, if I'm doing 50, I'm doing a hundred and I don't need you. I've never had a man show up financially. Um, not even when I was married, I was, I was, you know, making sure the bills were paid. Um, so I don't even know how to let a man show up financially, but if somebody was like, Oh no, no, no. I wouldn't know what to do, but I know I would appreciate it. Does that make sense? But I don't have a reference point for certain things where other women are like, no, if he's not doing that, I'm not going to be with him. And I'm just like, uh, okay. You, you know, you point out something It makes perfect sense. You point out something about relationships that I think has gotten lost in all the social contexts and relationships between, you know, man and woman, wife and husband, however you want to call it, or, you know, any kind of relationship that's close and intimate like that. There's give and take. There's Mm going to be great times and there's going to be down times. I don't think we can always be on our game. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you straight up, I'm a guy that was on that divorce track. I was there. We were, she was done with me. I was done with her. It was me that initiated it. And then the universe intervened and I had time to think about it. And when I thought about it, I thought, what the heck am I doing? And let me tell you something. If I didn't have my wife, I would not be the guy that I am. And I'm not 
perfect by any sense of the imagination. I've caused that woman so much grief, but she understands the team aspect of a relationship. And I got to yeah. tell you, Amy, I'm just blessed. Of course, it's not about me. We're talking about relationships and men, but I got to tell you, she's pretty strong. And women are fierce. Women are fierce. And yeah. So I'm just saying, so, you know, it's, it's admirable for you to, to share your story as well, because you're right. They are. Well, in the secret to the book series, cause there's also a book for the wife. He tells the wife the same thing. Don't allow dishes in the sink when your husband gets home, but here's what he's getting at. And this is what's important to me. This was my takeaway. If it's your responsibility, if both people are taking ownership of every situation within the relationship, the dishes are mine. No, they're mine. But you never say that to each other. You just try to beat each other to these tasks, right? Then when the other person does it because you see it as your responsibility, what do you do? Hey, baby, thank you for getting those dishes. Gratitude. Gratitude. Hey, baby, thanks for getting that. Thanks for taking care of that. Because you both think it's your responsibility. So instead of going, that was your job, you didn't get the dishes done. You do the dishes and she's going, oh, he has no idea that I found out my aunt had a stroke today and I haven't been able to function because I was taking the calls and making sure that her animals were fed or whatever it is. Instead of having an argument about it's your job, you don't ever listen to me. I mean, you know how these things blow up in a home. And sometimes somebody is lazy, gosh darn it, but the dishes still need to get done. <laughs> well, no, no. What you pointed out is niceties, you know, just being nice to each other. You know, imagine, so you're living with each other. Doesn't it make more sense to appreciate and to be nice to each other than it yes. does to constantly browbeat? or, or point uh, fingers or, or be derogatory. I mean, there's, there's, there's an easier way and a nicer way to do things in any relationship. Right. But I like that, that, you know, like, um, the guys from the Iraqi war, Jocko Willink, and, um, I'm forgetting the second name. There's Bobo, is it Bobo or? I think it's something like that, but they do the extreme ownership book. If yes. we all took extreme ownership for every aspect of our lives, and we weren't trying to shift the blame. Who can I say it's their fault? That's the one thing that has kept me going. Even in my relationship, what was my responsibility? Like, what can I take responsibility for? I didn't communicate well all the time. He'd get me going and I would, I timed myself once. I didn't get over an hour. I'd get to that 55 minute mark. <laughs> rah, 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 rah. <laughs> you know, like, I, I would roll my eyes. I'll be honest. Sometimes I called him names. My favorite was the B word. If he was acting like a little B word, I'd tell him. So, well, what does that do to a man? Now he has to make you feel like you're the B word, right? So it's, it's it tit just, for tat, you know, it's like, it wasn't healthy. Yeah. And then, you know, beyond that, taking it even, what's my what, where can I take responsibility for the fact that I even got into this relationship, go back further. I didn't, I got so enamored with what I saw that I missed the red flags. And then I ignored the red flags and excused the red flags. Well, you can blame the other person. They had red flags, but why didn't you walk away? Right? So when we start to take extreme ownership, 
and say, it's my responsibility. So if you don't show up, I don't get to blame you. I should have shown up. And that's been the hardest thing this past year is admitting I haven't shown up for me because I, I, I will show up for others as a way to put myself on the back burner, which is admirable, right? Like that's something our society says that mother Teresa kind of esque, like, oh, you are serving others in a way that you don't take care of yourself. We prize that as something special, but now I'm kind of trying to learn how to make myself a priority. And I feel like I'm cheating on who I really am in a way, because I'm so used to that selfless giving that when I, when I do something for myself, I feel like it's selfish and it's not, but no, it's, it's not. I'm, I'm going to give you a tip. Okay. Before okay. I get your, before <laughs> I get your tips, but you know what? That is a great point about being selfish, right? For ourselves. And, and you talked a little bit about servant leaders and, and, and servant leaders at times do get taken advantage of, right? Mm-hmm. It's good that we're not blaming others for us being, not taking personal responsibility, I guess. But when I was going through really tough time with insomnia because of personal reasons, my therapist told me when you get up at one o'clock in the morning, flick on the light and go into that mirror and you look at the guy there and you forgive that guy for the things that he's done and the way he's acted, but even more so. You tell that guy how much you love him, right? So think about this thing. Okay, you know me, right? So that night was in her office. I was up at two o'clock in the morning. I get up. I'm pacing the house. I'm I'm just angry, you know? It's what emotional extremes do. And I go in and I flick on the light. I actually look around to see if anybody's watching me. Because I don't think I'd ever told myself ever in my entire life, here I'm in my mid-50s, that I appreciated myself and that I loved myself. So I, I said it like one time, I love you, man. I went right back to bed, right? <laughs> You're like, I've had enough. I yeah. have no it's like, that's, that's not working, right? So, so but what started to happen is that, and, and, there, and, you, and you sparked this in me, what started to happen was, Every time that that started to happen, and I had insomnia bad for five years, it was emotional mood swings because of a traumatic brain injury. But it got to the point to where I went in there and I was starting to believe it. I'd go, hey, you, dude, John, I love you, man. You're a cool guy. You got so much to offer. And I forgive you for the mistakes you've made. So it was like reinforcement, right? This is tail, you know, going off of what you just said about appreciating who we are. So very similar to you, Amy, I didn't appreciate who I was. And so it happens to guys too. Guys can get walked on too. I took care of everybody else first. And we do it to escape ourselves though. Yes. And, well, and well, then I started, yes, we didn't want to face the things going on. No. And it's funny because, um, I'm not going to name any names because we just, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. But I know people that they're very selfless and they do for others so much 
but you can ask them. And I, I mean, I was there at one point. What do you do for you? Huh? What do you like? And you don't know because you've thrown yourself into all this other to escape yourself. And I'll just thinking about looking at myself and saying, I forgive you. And I love you. You know, I did. We're way past it now. I did a 40 day fast after I, my marriage was dissolving. I actually walked out that night. Um, it was, it was a bad situation either way. I walked out, um, and I filed for divorce and I was just hurt. I mean, I didn't want a failed marriage. I had told him before we ever got married, if there's anything in you that thinks that you're going to step outside of the relationship or you're going to not want to be in this marriage in the future, like, just leave me alone. I waited till 30 to get married. It's not like I, I was that girl that's like, oh, I got to get married as soon as I turn 18. No, like it was sacred to me. So I didn't want it to fail. And here's, here's my marriage failing. And it feels like the worst possible thing that could ever happen because I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I took him back. Oh my God, people are going to be talking of course. Right. And, uh, not only that, our marriage was so like, mm, that there wasn't a lot of emotion left. It was just going through the motions and believing you were doing it for the children. Cause that's what a lot of people tell themselves too. It's for the children. Um, the children know, they know they and you're, you're damaging sure. them. Yeah. You're damaging them. So, um, I did this 40 day fast just to forgive because I knew I had to get to a place where I could bless him to truly forgive him. And the first night was through gritted teeth, you know, like, <laughs> Oh yeah, God bless the end, you know? But now I can, I want the best for him. We're strangers at this point. Okay. We're strangers. Mm -hmm. Um, we haven't spoken in two years. We're, we're probably never going to speak again and that's okay. Um, I still want the best for him and I hope his new marriage is successful and I hope that he's truly happy. And, you know, I mean that with sincerity. There's nothing in my brain that triggers and goes, oh, but it's probably not, you know, but I've had people say that to me and I'm like, no, no, I hope it is as beautiful as it could be. I really do. I don't think had I not gone to an extreme measure to get to a place of forgiveness and also healing for myself would I be able to say those things? Right. Right. But I don't look at anyone in my past and wish bad upon them. I'm, I'm actually, I, I cheer for them. And, you know, I, I think that's a place everyone should be at when we can look at the people that have hurt us in our past and forgive them anyhow, because we're not uh, perfect. No. And that's a great point. You know, and I've heard many times, I'm sure you have too, that when you forgive somebody, it's, it's really, for you it's not necessarily for them it is and it isn't but it is but it isn't but i i don't like that thought because then people have an altruistic like or ulterior motive to forgiveness and i think if you have that ulterior motive i'm forgiving you for me you didn't really forgive because you can pull that back out of the um 
back out of the archives when it suits you, you know? I think it could be more of a mental health thing. But but the, 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 but I think the, the, the whole point really is that forgiveness is important to the equation of of everybody's mental health. And one for thing everything. I like for everything. And, you know, and one thing that you said about forgiveness is taking personal responsibility, but you mentioned it once or twice about blame and how blame just festers. And blame takes um, our ability to grow from whatever experience it is, because if it's always somebody else's fault, then certainly I don't need to improve. And we talked about self-improvement. So there's a lot to it. I mean, isn't human interaction interesting? Fascinating. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like there's so many different, like, you know, you were talking about different moments where this just formulated a things in your mind and when I when the older I get the more I realize how much I really don't know and how much I need to learn not only about myself but but about others and 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 realize that everybody's on their own journey men women and I think the more aware we become Amy the more we can see people's pain because we've been there and, and, and I think that out of this whole journey that I've been on, I've become more patient. I've become more compassionate. I've become more empathetic. I probably listen better than I used to. And that, most of those things I learned from my wife. You know, I never would have given her credit for any of that. You know, I did it on my own. I love you know? it. But I, love it. I would say a majority of the, qualities that i've got now and i'm not a soft old guy believe me but it came from an important woman in my life you know so that's and that's well, not and weakness in my faith um a man is not truly a man without a wife he's incomplete he's he's not complete and i find that interesting because um I think in a lot of traditions, the man is the man and submit to the man and you better listen to your husband, which can all be true. But a woman chooses to submit to a man that makes her feel secure. If I know you're never going to use my submission to harm me, I'm more apt to submit to you. The minute I no longer feel safe, I am no longer your submissive wife, I'm your foe because now I see you as a threat to me instead of my security. And so when men say stuff like that, here's me, buddy, I wouldn't submit a cat to you. <laughs> I wouldn't submit an essay. Um, if you have to tell a woman to submit, you're not doing what you should as a man because I will tell you right now, when a man does what he should as a man, Real women get them off their knees at his feet because they're like, what do you want? This is, you wanted your dinner ready at 4.30. It's 4.25 and I'm keeping it hot for you. When are you walking through the door? A woman should want to meet her husband at the door. You want to know why she wants to meet him? Because he's kind, not because he's cruel. She's excited to see him. If a woman's coming to you out of fear, you're not a man, you're a child. Those are some great points. Um, 
You know, we've talked a lot about some stuff today. And, <laughs> and that's what the show is about, you know, how we can communicate and how we can learn from each other. You know, can you give me three things that guys can do to be better guys? And then I want to hear one of your personal mantras. I don't want you to steal somebody's quote. I want you to have your own quote. Okay. The three things guys can do to be better guys. And then I want the Amy Sheesh quote of the year that men or anybody, women, leaders anywhere. can. You know, I'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of the week, um, the rest of the month, the rest of the year. I, I could have said this. It would have been better. Um, okay. So three things for men. Men, do your self-work because if you know yourself and what your values are and who you really are, you showing up as you, so this might be two, show up as you, be authentic because you can be our perfect dream man, but when we realize you're not that man, you're something else, now we don't trust you, you're a liar. So show up as you. If you don't get the girl you originally wanted, you might get better because she wanted the projection you just gave her. She didn't want you because you're giving her a projection. Show up with you and get the right woman. Because my husband, I, I or my ex-husband, he gave me what I wanted. So I was in love with him, right? Like, oh, this is amazing. I found somebody. He's somebody totally different with his new wife, like total goofball. I found him on TikTok. It's hilarious. Like I see the videos and I'm cracking up and I'm like, that's not my husband though. That's a totally different man. I think that's who he really is. He's happy. We weren't happy together because he couldn't be the projection I fell in love with all the time. And I couldn't love when he slipped out of that projection because I'm like, wait, who's this? Um, so be yourself, men, do yourself work. Don't project, get the right woman because you're exactly who you are, because you will be good enough. You are enough for someone that is made for you. Okay. The third thing about being a man, I think if you follow the, the first thing, you know, do your self-work and be exactly who you are. Those two things, nothing else really matters. Now, if who you are is living in mommy's basement, playing video games and eating <laughs> Cheetos all day. Yeah. Don't, don't expect a woman like me. You might find a gamer girl that that's her life and that is perfect, but you don't get to complain when you don't get a girl like me, right? You have to back off and be like, okay, I chose video games in my mom's basement. She don't want to move into my mom's basement. No, that's, <laughs> that's probably, that's probably the best tip we've ever heard. Gentlemen have higher standards. You know, right. don't think but for that yourself, it, for yourself then, first, but right. But then don't get mad when you're getting turned down by somebody who's looking for their match and they're on a different caliber. All these guys, oh, she's this or she's that. No, she's not yours. And you're not yeah. this or that because she doesn't want you. Not you're just not compatible, period. Period. Great, great advice. I mean, those are some great tips. And you know what? If more people listen to that, it would be a better world. Better world for those guys anyway. So yeah. I will tell you right now, as a woman who has been with men that I'll just admit, men project to me what I want because I used to tell them, oh, this is what I'm looking for. Oh, no, no, no. 
I'm no longer telling men what I'm looking for. You either are or you are not, period. But I used to tell people what I was looking for and then they showed up as what I was looking for. And here's me. Oh, this is wonderful. <sighs> no, it wasn't wonderful. Not one time. So kind of reverse projection then too. Right. But here's what I wish. I wish they would have shown up exactly how they were. It is fair for someone to respect you enough to say, hey, I don't want to waste your time or mine, but we don't align here. You're a great person. I'm attracted to you. I like you as a human being, but this one thing is a deal breaker for me. That's okay. It doesn't mean you're not worthy or you're not enough. It means you're not aligned on something. I have a very different faith. I will just tell you, I keep certain things that I won't give on. You're not putting a Christmas tree in my house. I'm not going to an Easter egg hunt and know your mama can't convince me otherwise. So if you, if that's going to cause a major riff in your family, we're not going to be compatible. Doesn't mean we're not good for each other or that we're, we couldn't have a healthy, successful relationship. It just means I'm also not the female that's going to come in and stir the pot on that level because your mom is your first woman. And yeah, you are supposed to leave the mom and cleave to your wife or whatever, but familial ties, like I don't think any couple should be pulling each other away from their families unless it's a truly dangerous, toxic situation. Yeah. Amy quote. Yeah, oh, let's hear I, it. Give it to us. Give it to us. Um, Come on. It's so like gangster. though. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's the rebel. So this is something I did start saying when I was much younger, but um beware the person that digs in the dagger I tear them out myself meaning you can hurt me your goal can be to harm me you can stab me in the back but I'm the one attending my wounds now that's not a message of revenge it's a message of you're now removed from me and it doesn't matter what you do, you're not coming back. Because what I've learned over the years is that when people actively harm you, I usually give them a second chance, but after the second chance, it's just a no. Um, people will do some crazy shady stuff out of jealousy. They, they can't come up to your level, so they need to try to drag you down to their mm -hmm. level. I'm like Nehemiah, I can't come down. I'm on my ladder. I'm not coming down. I have a task to fulfill. I have a purpose for my life. And what you're not going to do is drag me down to your level. So you can stab me in the back. You can harm me. You can say all the awful things you want about me. Most likely, I'm not even going to turn my head because I know to focus on what's important. But if you do get me, I'm the one fixing my wounds, which means que sera, sera, what will be will be, but you're gone. So I think, you know, having these little fun mantras, that's been a mantra since I was a little girl because I, I would get my, I, okay, this is really funny and you should hear this one. It's not just men that are a problem. Women are a problem for other women too. And we might need to do a, ask your people if they want a part two to this one. Women harm other women too. So I had this best friend. I loved her. She'd be like, what boy do you think is cute? Well, I wasn't really paying attention to the boys. I was a jock. I was in band. I was in choir. I liked my studies. And I'd be like, oh, so-and-so's cute. She'd go, I'm going to go talk to him for you. She'd come back and be like, we're dating. 
oh, okay. I just thought he was, you asked me who I thought was cute. I didn't say I wanted to be with him. He's just cute. She did this forever. And she looked like Cameron Diaz back in the day. Oh God, please. Nobody I know watch this. And now she looks like Miss Piggy. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's amazing how the universe works. Isn't it? I mean, we it's don't wish that on. Yeah. Favorite. It's my favorite. Cause I was like awkward, you know, I was kind of awkward and gangly. Like I was growing into my awkwardness, which I'm so awkward now, but I like embrace it. Um, but I feel like I'm aging. Okay. You know, like I, I feel okay about this. <laughs> so. No, that's great. I mean, and that's kind of funny though, but it's true how the universe works like that. And, and, you know, again, you know, we, the things that we've discussed, you know, points out again, just how sometimes things are simple and sometimes they're not. And when it comes to relationships, kind of the same thing, you know, if we're looking at the yin and the yang, there's a, there's a simple side to them. And then there's a complex side to them. And I like the fact that you mentioned it, resilience. We've talked about courage, but I like the fact too that there's also got to be the desire in any relationship. And I'm not talking about sexual desire, I'm talking about the desire to have a solid relationship. And I got to tell you, in the 30 years that I've been in mine, we've, we've talked about this. I've had some low lows. I mean, low, how low can you get deeper than the Mariana trench? And then we've had some incredible, great times. So John, would you say that the commitment isn't as much to the person as the commitment is to the covenant? It is. It's the relationship. Right. Your commitment is to the commitment. Not the person, because we can all leave that person behind, you know? Well, and there are things that will (laughs) pop up that we're like, holy cow, you know, I didn't know that. And there's still things that we haven't shared, you know, I mean, that we're not proud of, I think. But yeah, I I mean, we've shared a lot of cool stuff today. And uh, this has been a really nice conversation. I'm glad we finally we always had have it. amazing conversations. So let's close this one out. But if you're if your followers want a part two, well, tell us how let's let's and we and we'll get there. We, we might get to that because I'm sure they will. It's been such a lively conversation. <laughs> tell us a little bit about how people can contact you at Havab Publishing. Okay. And then you can yeah. visit the website havapublishing.com. Or you can email me directly at amy at havapublishing.com. And then, um, you know, my biggest reason for starting the publishing house was I had clients for ghostwriting that were going, we hate this process of getting publishing. This is what we're running into. So I sat down and I really thought it through for like over a month. And I thought, this is how I would do it. Do it. Oh, I will someday. And then two of my clients were just like, no, do it. We understand that it's a process. We understand that you've never done this before and we'll stick by you. Just do it because we don't want to deal with them. So we did it. And it, it's like jumping out of a plane with no parachute for a minute. You know, I mean, I did all the research and I, I did everything in order, you know, the licensing, da, 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 da. But I'm still learning. And I think, you know, that humility is what makes it okay because I don't tell anybody like, oh, we are the da-da-da-da-da. I don't make promises. I say, this is what it is. And 
you know, I flipped everything on its head where traditional publishers are keeping 85 to 95% of royalties. That's what I'm giving to my authors, you know, and I see the upfront cost. There is a small upfront fee and I see it as an investment in themselves because they get to keep the rest of that royalty. Whereas, you know, you could get a check from a publishing house, but you're not going to get the big money. And I always urge people go do the math on your favorite authors for what they sell and what they get. You can look those things up. I did the math on one certain author and we're not going to, we're not going to go there for this big name, right. but it's yeah, a big yeah. name. He sells millions of copies a year and he gets a 62 to $63,000 check every year. He should be getting millions. And with Hava, he would be getting millions. So. No, and that's, and that's, and that's perfect. You know, again, cutting edge, innovative publishing methodologies and, 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 and beliefs. And I know one thing about Amy's company is they've got one heck of a graphic artist who does the most amazing covers. Jeremy, which is, yes. Yeah, which is Jeremy important. Woods. Yeah. We just used a painting on a cover. So she had sent me a picture of her ideal cover. And I said, Jeremy, don't you have a painting that kind of looks like this? It was hanging in an art gallery. We used an art gallery hung picture as a cover. So I called the author and I go, do you want the painting? And she goes, is that an option? And I said, sure. Because that's, that's cool. Jeremy. She ends up buying the painting from Jeremy. So not only does she have this painting with an addition to it as her cover, but she also has the original painting. That's awesome. And, and that's called originality, you know, so. Where does that happen though? You know, where does that happen? And I've seen Jeremy grow and I've, I, 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 I say we have the best authors in the world. And I say that because I take the time to get to know you guys. And it's a lot deeper than just, I don't even book together. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in the big companies, you get assigned a person, but does the person at the top really care? That's the question. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. But to me, it's not about money because I've washed that side out for myself. You know, I, I ghostwrite for my money. Hava is its own beast and I let it run that way. You know, um, the, the royalties that come in pay for marketing and then some other stuff we have an event we need to talk about but we're we're doing stuff you know and then um we also give back to causes so once you start getting your royalties and they're you know adding up on the one side hava's portion gives to a charity of the author's choice so it doesn't, I don't make it come out of your portion. I take it out of Hava's portion to give. That's, to that that's a great idea. It makes it, makes it, a, a, you know, another value add to the, to the publishing process and another way to make the world a better place. You know, anyhow, Amy, I, I you know, we'll, we'll have to have a, a rematch or, or a re re-interview or another interview. Okay. But, but, uh, but, no, timer. <laughs> no, but, but no, no, but thank you very much for sharing. You've given us, an amazing amount of things to mull over. And what I, one thing that I, that you're leaving me with that I'm taking to heart, uh, you know, you know, what do you have to offer? And that question, you know, I'm going to be asking myself that every day now, 
what do I have to offer? And, and not only to myself and to those around me, but to the world. So thank you for making this interview awesome. And thank you for being who you are. I know we're going to be doing more things together down the road, so it's not done yet, but just thank you for everything. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, John. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Well. Without you, we don't exist. We hope the men who joined us today learned some valuable tips to improve and not be ashamed to use them. Be the change. Set the example. Keep going, men. And for the women leaders out there, keep creating and keep helping us men to become even better men, more effective leaders. Thank you. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and lead.